Greetings, everyone. Today, my guest is Jenna Johnson, head of Patagonia. Welcome, Jenna. Hi, Frank. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for joining me today. Our listeners are likely familiar with titles such as CEO, CFO, or COO. Where did the title head of Patagonia come from, and how would you describe the role? It's a great question. So about about two years ago, maybe a little bit more than two years ago, um, we started to reflect at Patagonia on the role of titles and conventional business titles and, and really kind of began to feel the burden of what traditional titles hold in an organization as our employee community started to grow. Um, and really felt like we wanted to get out of this chase of, you know, the, the junior manager, manager into senior manager kind of role. Um, so we started to actually move away from titles. And now across the organization, we really just um, use our title or description as more of kind of a job description. And so in a conventional business, you would probably say that my role is really akin to a brand president um, and that I would oversee, you know, business units that um, have teams that are really focused on growing the business of, of Patagonia. Um, the way that I think of, of my role is that I oversee an incredible team of business activists, actually, who um, come to work every single day looking to find ways to use product and community, which really sit at the heart of our business, um, in order to have powerful impact on our mission to um, save our home planet. Yeah, that, that's interesting, because I have the impression that Patagonia is a company that cares greatly about details. And what you're telling me is you've thought about even the titles that you're giving people to make sure that they're more reflective of what the people are doing as opposed to traditional titles used in business. Yeah, that's right. You know, my business units, even um, in, a, in a conventional business who makes apparel and equipment, you might have business units that are focused on kind of product classifications like outerwear or insulation. Um, but my business units, we actually call, literally the teams are called ocean, rivers, trail, <laughs> mountain and a life outdoors because these are the places that we are stewarding and the communities um, are working towards and that we really feel like our business is really in service of helping to protect. I want to work in all those places. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty great. It's a lot of hard work though, I have to say. It's one of the most complex businesses to, to, to meld the responsibility of a business with um, the impact that we feel the, the pressure to ensure that we're having on, um, you know, this biological home that we all share and, and bringing it back to health. And, and we'll get to that, that impact here in a minute. I wanted to ask you uh, about your journey. So you graduated from Foster in 2010, and now you're head of Patagonia. Can you share with us the journey that you took from 2010 to where you are today? And I'm particularly interested in how your educational experience at Foster played a role in your journey. It was it was really important and very, and very critical. You know, I'm a I'm a really intuitive leader. Um, it's how I've always kind of run my businesses and and looked at the world is through a lot of intuition. And at, at a point in my career, I felt like I needed. Um, to ensure that I also had intellect to back up some of that intuition, not always, but some of it. And going through the executive MBA program was really, really helpful for me in, um, 
in, in doing multiple things. One, allowing me to learn critical skills and gain knowledge and then being able to, in the moment, go back to work and apply those and really understand how to push and pull them in the real world um, and how to take what I was learning and blend it with my intuition. So that was a really great journey for me and a really nice learning experience that um, springboarded me from, from that moment. I also had such an incredible group of cohorts um, and worked really closely um, and learned so much from the cohorts that I was that I was on that um, journey with for two years in the program. You know, I, I have always worked in, um, in owner-run businesses and have always worked in the outdoor industry, so smaller businesses by size. And what was really great about the program for me personally was that it allowed me to get a really nice knowledge about some larger organizations, you know, Boeing, um, Starbucks, Microsoft, and to understand how what we were learning resonated and could work in a larger organization. Um, it was really valuable for me to learn that and then be able to take that back to my own business and, and apply it as appropriate for our scale of business um, and the work that we were doing in the outdoor industry. I think you bring up an interesting point, Jenna, because a lot of prospective MBA students, they think about the classroom experience as the educational experience. I think what you're describing is that's really just planting the seed and then you go out into the business world, either through internships or, or back to a job and you get a chance to put it into practice. Exactly, exactly. That was extremely helpful for me. Great. Patagonia is a, a, a purpose-driven purpose company. What is Patagonia's purpose and how do you and others at the company make sure that every decision, not just the big ones, but the little decisions reflect that purpose? Yeah, our, our purpose is to be part of the climate crisis solution. A few years back, we also changed our mission statement. Um, and we changed our mission statement to be more succinct and to be more focused and to be more resolute that everything we do in our business um, is in an effort to save our home planet. So our mission statement actually does say we are in business to save our home planet today. And that was to create um, a sense of urgency, both inside and outside of Patagonia, and to make sure that employees within Patagonia were using that lens and that goal in every single decision that we are making. And so today, whether it's um, coming up with new innovations in material development, or whether it's working on social media and connecting to our rock climbing community, everyone is making decisions about how we use our work and how we use that moment of work um, in this really big um, effort that um, is, is you know, pretty gigantic out there to think about trying to change the trajectory of this climate crisis. Um, but it takes every single moment being very intentional in order to have the impact that we need to have. Yeah, we changed uh, the purpose statement of the Foster School this last summer, and it starts with together and it ends with the better humanity. And it's very similar to what you're talking yeah. about. So that we're thinking through a lens of, are we a part of a broader community and improving the culture that we live in and the communities that we live in through our actions. Yeah, and every 
every word is so important, right? Like you're saying, language is really important. And we often, you know, our, our, our mission statement, like I just said, is we are in business to save our home planet. And we get a lot of recognition for the fact that we are trying to be part of the climate crisis solution. Um, but the word our is very intentional. This is all of our home planet and we are working um, as stewards of a larger community, even outside of, you know, outside of Patagonia and certainly even outside of the human race uh -huh. to um, work to bring this planet back to health. So I, um, yeah, those, those words are very important. Yeah, we were very um, particular to use together as the starting point because we believe yeah. that we can amplify and leverage everything we do if we do it together relative to individuals. I love that. You, you mentioned, so in talking about um, you know, your, your purpose, you talked about business. And I wanna ask you when your business interests conflict with your purpose, how do you go about reconciling those two and making those hard decisions? Yeah, that is a really, really good question. I think um, at Patagonia, more than any other business I've been a part of, there we are constantly encountering those tensions, those spots um, where you come up against hard decisions that traditionally a, a business solution might be um, might not be the right answer for the work that we're trying to do in this. Um, to save the home planet. And so, you know, we, a little bit like I mentioned before, using intuition, um, when we get to the hardest of decisions, it really becomes a judgment decision around what is right and what is wrong. Um, and we take a very long view. We talk often about um, what this business is gonna look like in a hundred years, not what it's gonna look like even in 10 years, much less at the end of a year. Um, Certainly that's not exclusive, like especially in this past year, we have talked a lot about how to run our business in this, in this year, but we always keep that long view in mind and um, are looking beyond the, the business impact um, and able to use our judgment rather than um, a purely acad academic or data-driven approach, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it does. And interestingly, I, I couple of days ago, got an email from Patagonia uh, asking me to send back my used clothing. And, mm -hmm. and I just think that's so unique because mm -hmm. I, I don't get those emails from other uh, companies. And so I want to ask you, what are, what are your, some of the favorite ways that you've seen Patagonia bring the purpose, uh, their purpose to life? Yeah, I think this is my favorite part about working for Patagonia. Um, I often feel like we happily take on the role of kind of, um, being the guinea pig, maybe if that's if that's the right way to describe it, you know, we we sit at this really interesting spot as a business in that we can take risks and we can um, think about pretty radical ways in which business can can operate in a more responsible way. And as we figure out and fine tune the business model around some of these ideas. Um, they're able to be scaled to smaller businesses, but also the intention is that it, these practices can be emulated and scaled into larger businesses. So we are happy to take on the role of being a little bit of the risk taker and the one who figures out some of the unlocks that allow um, business models to be profitable. And what you're talking about is one that is really near and dear to us these days. 
the clothing industry contributes up to 10% of the pollution that's um, contributing to the climate crisis today. And just for context, that's, that's more than the emissions of, of France, of Germany, and of the UK combined. So it is critical that we figure out how to relieve the pressure on new product manufacturing. And to do that, we believe really strongly in um, changing people's behavior around how they engage and purchase and think about product and the ability to have really heirloom products that are passed around and that are shared and that allow you to have the new product or the gear that you need for the activities that you want without having to go buy new every time you need a new piece of gear or a new a new piece of clothing. Um, and, and this is one that's really tricky. A lot of people are talking about the secondary market right now. Um, and I think, you know, across different businesses and organizations, we have to find a way for this to be a profitable business model so that there's incentive to keep it going and have it be the long-term business model um, rather than all this new product creation. You know, we just keep dumping more and more product into landfills around the world. Um, and all that product could be kept in the system um, instead. So that one is a, is one that we're extremely passionate about and doing a lot of work around at the moment. Yeah, it's changed my behavior. A couple of weeks ago, a Patagonia jacket that I've had for 20 plus years, the seam started to split. And instead mm -hmm. of saying, well, time to get rid of this jacket, the first thing I did is I went to your website and looked for videos. How can I fix this? The second thing I did was, was call and got some wonderful advice on ways to fix this seam. And of course they said, if you can't fix it, we're going to replace it. And I said, I don't want you to replace a 20 year old jacket, but it's just nice to have that resource available so that I don't have to think about putting it into the trash can right away. Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. You're our perfect, <laughs> you're, you're <laughs> a perfect customer. Yeah. You know, we have one of the, we have the largest repair center in the United States um, at Patagonia. And that's, that's very intentional. It's a very intentional place for us to invest in is repair because um, we believe it's a critical, absolutely essential part of um, individuals taking responsibility for their own actions and helping to contribute in a meaningful way to changing our behaviors in order to make life on this planet sustainable. Yep, I've used that repair center. <laughs> mm. Jen, I'd like to switch topics to a serious topic, social inequalities and the potential role that businesses, and by businesses, I really mean the people that work at businesses and organizations play in helping eliminate social inequalities. Can you share with us what Patagonia is doing to help solve this central problem? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's so important. And especially in the past year around um, racial inequalities in particular and racial injustice, we have been doing a lot of deep, deep work, some of the deepest work we, we've ever done um, to look back and understand our history, um, our roles and all the ways that we have to change as, as a business, um, as part of the environmental movement, as part of the outdoor industry. Um, there is a lot of work to be done and, and it's, it's been a really interesting journey for all of us, for myself as a white leader in particular, to step aside and let our colleagues, our black, brown, indigenous colleagues um, have a voice and, and help us through this process. And so 
as a as a business leader, my you know my first instinct, as all of you probably are too, is to jump into action. You know, we want to. There's a problem. We need to solve the problem. Let's figure out how to solve the problem and let's go. Um, but but what I've learned is that this is this is so deep. Um, certainly the the racial injustices, but also just social inequity, like you're highlighting in general that it is requiring us to simply sit and listen and take it in and feel and think and have conversations. And so at Patagonia, that's what we've been doing. We've been having um, a lot of listening sessions. We have working groups um, for different colleagues that wanna organize and be a part of working groups. And so the, the leadership team at Patagonia has been working very closely with the working group um, of our black, brown and indigenous and people of color employees um, and working on what the strategy is going to look like as we move forward. And, um, you know, we are really, really deeply committed to ensuring that we are an anti-racist business, an anti-racist organization, both internally and externally. And that is gonna be lifelong work. That is going to be work that is going to continue. One thing I've, I've learned, especially since last spring, is I sit in a position of power and therefore I need to lead by listening. Uh, I shouldn't be the one starting conversations in this space. I need to be the one listening to others and then pushing action and, and specifically being proactive uh, if possible in this space. So I, I couldn't agree more with what you said that as leaders, we need to sit back and first start by listening uh, in order to address this problem. Yeah, I think, you know, we take on that role of leader sometimes, and yet I'm not a leader in this conversation. This is not the place that I'm a leader. I'm a listener, and I'm learning, and I'm growing, and I'm, um, I'm looking to others who are leaders in this conversation to rise up. And I think, I think that's just such a, um, such a good thing for all of us to understand that we open up the conversation to those who all want to come into the conversation. Um, it's not just about, like, a leader driving a conversation, but really stepping aside and, and letting the conversation happening, but still being active and, and, and engaged in the conversation as a participant. Yeah, and it, and it comes back to the, the term I used, which is together, and the term you used, which is our, it comes back to a community getting behind this and making meaningful change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jenna, do you have a, a role model that's been particularly impactful in your life? And if so, how has that individual been impactful? Oh, gosh. I, um, I have a lot of role models, and I'm really lucky that a lot of the people who have been um, the most influential in kind of that role model way, I actually get the chance to work with. Our board of directors at Patagonia is absolutely exceptional, and I have learned um, so much from them. Yvonne Chouinard, obviously, I have learned an immense amount from, and his wife, Melinda, is one of the most brilliant women I've ever had the honor of working with. But I think if you were to ask me about one person, I would have to say Chris Tompkins um, has been such an incredible role model for me in, in so many ways. You know, Chris um, used to be CEO of Patagonia. She was actually um, CEO of Patagonia twice. So she's well aware of the tensions that you were speaking to earlier that we struggle with in our business to lead a really responsible business um, that's sustainable while 
having as little impact on this planet as we can um, in our business. She's well aware of that and has been a really great mentor for me. She also, um, along with her late husband, Doug, um, has protected more private land than any other private individual um, in, in the world. Um, her and Doug have, have protected over 2 million acres down in Chile and Argentina. So she is, um, you know, a, a fierce, um, a fierce fighter for this planet. Um, but I would say I would use the word she is fiercely graceful is how I would describe her, which I just love and admire. Um, yeah, I just love and admire everything about Chris. And, and um, I guess in addition to that, she is small in stature like me, <laughs> but she's certainly um, a giant in impact. So she's had, she's had immense influence on my life. It sounds like she's definitely someone that uh, walks the talk. She, she, is, she is the definition of walking the talk. That's great. Can you share a little bit about your passion for climbing and how lessons you've learned in climbing have been applicable or helped you in business? Hmm. Yeah, I actually grew up um, growing up all my life. I was actually a competitive swimmer. So I swam um, competitively until I ended up going on to college. Um, and when I went to college, I was kind of looking for a little bit of a change and I ended up getting introduced to rock climbing. Um, and it was such a, it was such a natural fit for me. Um, I loved the places that climbing took me to, the adventures that it took me on. Um, and on those adventures, you know, they were less about like trying to climb something really hard per se, mm -hmm. but about um, really enjoying the moment and being in that moment and being out in nature and um, taking some risks. And I, I, I do think sometimes I stay away from the cliches of, um, you know, what you learn in climbing and then bringing it in to, um, to how you run a business. But, but there is a lot of analogies, you know, you, you're, you're out on the rock and you're, you're studying it like a puzzle and you sometimes have to make very quick decisions. Um, and you, often have to look ahead and figure out what what the appropriate route is, um, where your next handhold or foothold is gonna be. And sometimes they're really tiny and you can barely even see them. And sometimes they're very obvious. And I think your your first point is actually really important in the current environment. You, you talked about how being in nature essentially feeds the soul. And it's so important for us to have a way to feed our soul so we can bring our our whole self with a lot of positive energy back to business. So it, it actually, I think, is very related to being a leader, uh, just being out in nature. Yeah, now more than ever, right? We're, we're all sitting at home on this digital screen, having these digital interactions. I feel that the ability to kind of get outside and know when you need to just take a breath and reconnect and, and be out in nature, that's, um, it's, it's really powerful. It's so important for all of us at this moment. I'm hoping we can do our next interview on a wall somewhere together. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be a perfect interview. <laughs> My last question for you, uh, Jenna, what characteristics make the perfect employee for Patagonia? I'm asking for a friend. Hmm. Um, <laughs> I think I would go back to that sense of being willing to go on an adventure. You know, working at Patagonia is certainly an adventure of a lifetime. We are in a race against climate collapse. Um, 
and for the sake of us humans, yes, but also for the cohabitants that we, you know, are living on this planet with. And so um, those of us who kind of come to Patagonia have this strong drive for um, being a part of this journey, being a part of this adventure, giving it everything we've got um, and recognizing that we're, we're running out of time fairly quickly um, and we need to bring everything we've got to the work that we're doing every single day. That's great. Jenna, thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was really nice to see you. Nice to see you. Be safe. Thanks.